Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. As I said, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17 today. We're going to read a familiar passage if you've been in church very long. And then we'll, we'll, we'll read, we'll pray, and we'll dig in, okay? Beginning in verse 11, Luke 17, 11, it says, While Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten men with leprosy who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. But Jesus responded and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. King James says, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning. Room enough at Jesus' feet. Room enough at Jesus' feet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this presence that's in this place. Lord, we are grateful that you show up when we come into your house. Lord, we ask you to show up right now. Lord, to give us hearing ears, to give us hearts of flesh, that it may receive the good seed of the word. Lord, produce fruit in us that remains from this word. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just for some background here, some context in Luke 17. In the previous few chapters, Jesus has done some extensive teaching through parables. And in terms of his life, the, the timeline of his life at this point, we're kind of in the home stretch in Jesus' life. He has raised Lazarus from the dead, not, not uh, too far before this. And this has been a huge, pivotal moment in the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus because Lazarus was very dead. He was four days dead. He was stinking dead. That's how dead he was. And Jesus raised him from the dead, and it caused such an uproar in the Jewish religious system that the Jewish leaders decided that both Jesus and Lazarus might need to die. Can you imagine? God doing such a work that he's raised someone who was very dead from the dead, and your response is, we got to kill that guy. We got to kill the guy who did it, and we got to, we got to kill the guy again who was dead. Uh, Jesus is now on his way to Jerusalem, and he's passing through Samaria and Galilee, which is to the north. And as he passes through, he encounters these men. These are uh, leprous men, men with leprosy. We don't much deal with leprosy in the modern world. I think it's pretty well uh, defeated in terms of medicine, but. This was a catastrophic disease back in the day. Again, if you've been in church very long, you know that uh, this was a disease that was, uh, you basically rotted from the outside in. And you would often lose circulation to your extremities. You'd begin to lose your, 
fingertips and your toes and your nostrils and your earlobes and your lips and all these different things. Terrible disease. Ultimately, it would claim your life and, uh, and, and destroy you. The response in that day was to isolate folks that had leprosy. And, you know, we, we thought COVID was bad. Imagine being in a situation with leprosy, uh, far more deadly at that time. So people would congregate together in leper colonies. And so this is the kind of the context here. So they would congregate in leper colonies. They live out in the wilderness, away from villages, away from people, so that they would not infect them and, and cause them to die as well. So these men have been living an unspeakable reality. Is that fair? These men have been living a situation that none of us ever have and hopefully never will. And something takes place in their life that causes them to seek out Jesus. Jesus is passing through. They hear that he's on his way through, and they decide to go and seek him out. And as Jesus comes into a village, he encounters these men, and they're standing off away from everyone at a distance, and they raise their voices to him saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Can I just encourage you today that if you are in a situation, albeit leprosy or whatever it is, whatever your situation is, if you need Jesus to do something, do not sit in silence. Do not sit in silence and let Jesus pass by. Do not sit and wait and hope and pray that he has a word of knowledge that he gives to someone through someone so that you can get a word and get your miracle. Cry out to Jesus while Jesus is near. Don't sit there in silence and wait for him to do something. He might. He might very well do something. But I'll tell you what, almost every person in the Bible who comes to Jesus encounters Jesus in the way they're asking. Amen? They encounter Jesus in a way, I'm sorry, that's better than they're asking. That's what I should say. They get what they're asking for and usually then some. But don't sit back in silence. Don't sit back with your arms crossed and wonder where God is. Seek out Jesus. Seek out Jesus while he may be found. Amen? That's what these men did. Lord, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, verse 14, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, the reason he said that was, in case you don't know, that the, the custom, the religious custom, according to the law of Moses, was that when someone had become healed of anything, much less something as severe as leprosy, that they were to then go to the priests and the priests were to verify the miracle. All right, that's what they were supposed to do. They were going to verify the miracle, and then they would offer a sacrifice and an offering to God in thanks for that. So these men, when they hear that instruction, go and show yourselves to the priests, they don't balk at that. They understand what that means. The implication is that there's a healing that's coming. Okay? The implication to them is, I don't have to go to the priest unless my answer is coming. So that is the instruction from the Lord. He does not so much say you're now healed, but he gives them an instruction to go and show themselves to the priests. And the last part of verse 14 is very cool because it says, as they were going, they were cleansed. Two things I want to pull out of verse 14 for you. The first thing is that Jesus is not overwhelmed by any amount of need that we present to him. He is presented with 10 men who have a deadly disease, a contagious disease, a disease that is far worse than anything we've experienced. And he, he is presented with these men, and he is not at all overwhelmed or challenged by the amount of leprosy they carry. Amen? We get challenged by the amount of stuff we carry, don't we? It bothers us sometimes how much we've suffered, how bad it is, how tough it's been, how hard the season has been. He's also not overwhelmed by the duration of the need in their life. 
Amen? Some of these men may have had it for a year or less, but some of these men may have lived 30 years with it. Some of these men might be second or third generation people with leprosy. Regardless of the the amount of need or the duration of the need, Jesus is not phased. Jesus is not moved by what moves us. We say it all the time here, but then we have to go out and live it. And the reality is, is that 10 men with leprosy would cause even the most Pentecostal among us to take a step back. Amen? Would cause the most gifted and anointed among us to be a little bit cautious in how we proceeded. And yet Jesus, the Son of God made flesh, is unfazed by the amount of need The extent of the need, the scope and the scale of the need, any of that would cause us to take a step back. But Jesus does not budge. What a good God. What a great Savior that we have. That he is not overwhelmed by what we bring to him. He is not phased by what we throw at him. It's a legitimate need. There's nothing about this that is is circumstantial. There's nothing about this that is opinion. It's not like they went out and did something to cause themselves to get leprosy. It came to them completely out of their control like so many things do, and Jesus was not moved by it. The best thing that they did was that they took that need to Jesus, and he was not phased. So 10 men with varying degrees of leprosy, varying degrees of need, they met Jesus on the way. And whether it was 10 or multitudes or thousands, the amount of need has never had a bearing on Jesus' ability to provide heaven's answer. It does not matter. The amount of need has never had bearing on Jesus' ability to provide heaven's answer. Those 10 men represented 10 spans of time where they had been dealing with this disease. However long it had been for each of them, the time was of no consequence to Jesus. That gives me hope because sometimes the time is the killer. Amen? I would even wager that one of the greatest weapons the enemy utilizes against a believer is time. Amen? Time. We have a finite amount of it in this world. And, and to spend so much of it, or sometimes any of it, fighting with X, Y, or Z that the enemy has done, a disease, a condition, a, a, a mindset, a bondage, whatever it is that is being thrown at us, to waste any time on that is just a brutal attack of the enemy, a tactic of the enemy. He besieges our life with time. He besieges us just as if we were in a walled city. He besieges us with time and he tries to outlast us. And if we're not careful, if we don't take it to Jesus, he will outlast us. If we don't take it to Jesus, the only one who is not faced by the amount of time, the only one who is not faced by the amount of need, if we don't take it to Jesus, we will not survive. Just like those lepers. Those lepers were as good as dead, except that they went to Jesus. Brother, sister, your marriage is as good as dead, except you take it to Jesus. Your children, your grandchildren are as good as dead, except you take them to Jesus. Winchester, Central Kentucky, is as good as dead, except we take them to Jesus. Jesus has the answer to our amount of need. Jesus is not moved by what moves us. Jesus has the word we need for our need. 
Because his word still has power. His word still has authority. His word still accomplishes that in which it was sent. And his word still does not return void when he sends it. Again, verse 14, he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. As they were going, this is the opportunity. They had a word from the Lord. They had an instruction from the Lord, but that word had to be walked out. Now, I much prefer when God does things instantly. I much prefer when we come up front and we agree in prayer and God moves and we hit the floor and there's a prophecy and we get up and everything seems different. I certainly prefer it when somebody comes in and gets radically changed and transformed by the power of God in an instant, in a moment. But it's not always that way. It's not always that way. Sometimes Jesus gives us a word, he gives us an instruction, and we have to then walk it out. We have to then go and do what he said in obedience. But there's power in going and doing what he said because Jesus' word plus our faith always produces transformation. Always, every time. Every time you partner the faith that God has given you, and I want to say this, Any faith that you have is not yours anyway. It's from him. The Father deposits within us a gift of faith even to come to know Jesus. Before we ever accept Jesus in our heart, just the fact that we're willing to come to him is a gift from God. Because in ourselves, we don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith to believe for that kind of healing. I don't have enough faith to follow the word of the Lord like that, but God puts that in them and they come to Jesus and Jesus then offers the instruction to partner with that faith. And then they do it. So you don't have to muster up enough to do what Jesus is challenging you to do. You don't have to build it up enough within yourself or believe hard enough. You just need to respond to the faith that you have in you because that faith is a gift from your father. And that faith was given so that you could follow the instruction according to the word of the Lord. Jesus' word plus our faith always produces transformation. So as they were going, they were cleansed. As they were going, they were cleansed. That word cleansed in the Greek means to make clean, to purge, or to purify. Now again, the instant transformation is always better. It's more fun, it looks cool, it feels all fuzzy, it's awesome. The transformation that is the process, not so much. And man, if you've ever been made clean, if you've ever been purged or purified, that's not always a fun experience for the thing that is being made clean, purged, or purified. Amen? Is anybody? I was going to do a silly kind of gross example. Is that okay? All right, here we go. Anybody ever had a Taco Bell purging? (laughs) I'm sorry, I apologize. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say with that. Please don't roll your eyes or hate me. (laughs) It's not fun. Not fun, is it? Purification. I'll say this. Here's a more practical example. I work in car paint. I work in automotive paint for, for, at Toyota for a company that supplies it. And one of the things that we do is that we, we supply all the pretty reds and blacks and silvers that you see on the, on the Camrys and the RAV4s around here. And so in the process of putting that paint onto the car, they have to run that paint through a filter. They have to purify it because it's in a big piped loop. And, and it's interesting 
It's not that interesting, actually. It's, for work, it's interesting. As the paint goes through the system, you know, it's got all the little things in it that make it sparkle and shine and all that stuff when it hits the car, right? But as it goes through the system and it hits those pipes and then it goes on and it hits another pipe, it starts to get banged up and messed up and it can start to conglomerate a little bit and, and cause lumps and clumps and all that junk. And if they didn't have filters, then those lumps and clumps would hit that car and be all over the place. And it wouldn't look real good, would it? It would come out and it would be a mess. And sometimes it does come out and it's a mess. But because of filters, because of purification, because there's something in there that's catching the junk and the stuff, although it's an adverse experience for the paint, the end result comes out looking great. The end result is smooth and pretty and sparkly and awesome. And, and the purification, the cleansing, the purging that the word of the Lord does in us, it's not always fun in the process. Amen? But when you get to the other side when it's applied, when it becomes part of you, when there's heat applied to you and you start to shine and sparkle with it, 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 it's better than the outcome because here's the deal. They will never be as pure or as clean as they would on any other road. Does that make sense? The road that Jesus has put them on, the path that he has put them on is the best option for them to come out clean and purged and pure. Amen. There might be some measure of cleanliness. They might have some measure of, of decent life before they pass. But without the word of the Lord and the faith that he's given us to walk it out, Amen. we're not going to get to the other side of it and be made clean. We have to be made clean. But it's the word of God. John 15 also tells us that, that it is the word of God that makes us clean, right? Walking under a word from the Lord cleanses us, it purges us, and it purifies us. Jesus is still the cleanser. He is still the purifier. But will we go and let him purify us? Will we walk that path? What if the, the miracle isn't instant in your marriage? What if you got to go to counseling? But that's part of the road that Jesus prescribed. It's not going to be fun. But if it's the way Jesus made, don't you want to go the way that Jesus made? The way that Jesus prescribed for the situation? And that's a, that's a step of trust. Please understand, these men had everything to lose. Everything to lose. They could have walked away and said, why didn't he heal me instantly like he did the other guy, the blind guy last week? Or the, 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 woman with, the person with the palsy the other day. How come he didn't heal me instantly just like he did them? How come I've got to go and walk? How come I've got to walk out this instruction from the Lord? We can do that. But if we do that, we forfeit the benefit of the experience. We forfeit that ability to be made as pure and as clean as he wants us to be made. Because we're going to be cleaner on his road than any other road. We're going to be more pure on his road than any other road. Verse 15, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. That word healed in the, in the Greek means cured or made whole. Cured or made whole. Something visibly happened to them as they went. It's fascinating. Something visibly happened. There's a point on the way where the man looks down and he sees something there that was not there before. Let me say it like this. What the disease had claimed from him, what the disease had stolen from him and taken from him, was restored. Visibly. Because he's going and he notices, wait, 
that wasn't there this morning, that wasn't part of me yesterday. In fact, it's been gone from me for a while even. It was taken from me by this horrible disease. But look, it's back. It's back, and he starts feeling and experiencing again what, what has come back to him. Because as we go under the word, creative power comes. The creative power of God goes with us as we go under the word. And what had been taken, what had been stolen, what had been lost is returned by the creative power of God. What was dead in us and on us, what used to be good for us but now no longer is, is brought back into purpose and function. Life comes again when we go under the word. I can't go under anybody else's word and get that result. I can't go under anyone else's feelings and desire and get the results that God has. I have to have a word from Jesus, but when I get it, I have to go in it. I have to. It's the only way to get what he has for me. The only way that what I've lost can be added back is to go under the word that Jesus gives me. And he sees it, and he turns back, and he glorifies God with a loud voice. I think you would too if, what, if, if the things that you had lost were added back suddenly. If you're going along and all of a sudden you realize what was gone from me is back upon me. Imagine those relationships. Imagine the people. Imagine the opportunities that the enemy has robbed you of that the Lord can creatively return as you go. And wouldn't you, shouldn't you, when you know that that has happened, shouldn't you stop in your tracks on the way and turn around and glorify God with a loud voice? Shouldn't we glorify God with a loud voice every time somebody gets saved in this house? Shouldn't we glorify God with a loud voice every time a body is restored? Shouldn't we? Yes, we should. Yes, we should. This is our opportunity. Glorifying God with a loud voice, verse 16, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. He fell on his face. Technically, he's not even walked the whole thing out in obedience just yet. But notice that Jesus does not penalize a man who is grateful. Jesus does not stop the process of healing because he didn't go all the way to the priest just yet. Because the man turned around and fell at Jesus' feet and thanked him and glorified God with a loud voice for what he had already done. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus wasn't even totally done healing him yet. But, but for what he had done, the man realizes it. He glorifies God with a loud voice. He falls at the feet of Jesus. And he worships him and he thanks him even though he was a Samaritan. The Samaritan people fascinate me in the Bible because these are people that are religious zealots. These are people that are, they've got God wrong in the Bible. They've built a rival temple. They've built rival Judaism. They've built a rival, a rival priesthood. They've done all of this stuff. They're to the point where the Jews hate them and they hate the Jews and all this stuff, even though technically they're, they're genetically, they're very closely related. But over and over again, there's people that come out of that community that tap into what God wants to do. Over and over again, they reach out and they get a hold of something better than even the Jews did. 
better than even the believers did. And that's what this man did. He says in verse 17, Jesus responded and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But the nine, where are they? This is the crux of the message today. There was room at Jesus' feet for 10. But only one showed up. There was room at Jesus' feet for 10 men. Whether it was months or years or decades or generations of leprosy represented, whether it was severe, whether it was new, whatever it was, there was room for all of it at Jesus' feet. But only one man, only one man, a Samaritan of all people, had the wherewithal to stop in the midst of God's working and thank him for what he was doing and fall on his face, throw his dignity aside, lift his voice up, fall at the feet of the one who had given the word, fall at the feet of the one who had started the work in him. This one man had the wherewithal to fall at his feet. But I want you to see, although there was room for 10, and only one came. The nine that missed out were not missing out on just anything. They still got their miracle. They got their miracle. But I want to show you that they missed what else Jesus had for them. They got their miracle, but they missed Jesus. And this is the reality. Friend, God can move in your body, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your job. He can do amazing things. And whether or not you ever praise him for it, he can still do it. But I want to show you that this man got access to something that nine missed out on. Because they did not. Verse 18. He says in verse 17, were, were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found, verse 18, who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Because this man was identified as a foreigner, we can imply that the rest were Jews. These were people who knew the Lord, who knew the ritual, who knew the, the, the things that they had to do. They understood the implication of going to the priests. And if we aren't careful, we can get so caught up in what Jesus did that we forget to fall at his feet and thank him. There's no harm in getting caught up in what Jesus can do until that becomes what you want about Jesus. And listen, I'm, that's hard, okay? I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I fall into that too. It's far easier when you want an answer to just talk about the answer that you need. It's way easier to do that than to just want to sit at his feet and hang out and hear and listen, and let him talk to you. It's a whole lot easier to say, God, do something. Show yourself. Show yourself strong. Speak the word only. But instead, sometimes we have to do what this man did. We got to stop in the midst of it and say, but God, look what you've already done. Look what you've already done. Is it, is it everything that I want? No, but look what you're doing anyway. That's what this man did. He said, verse 19, he said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Again, the King James says your faith has made you whole. Jesus was able to do a deeper work in the one who came back. 
than he was in the nine that didn't. Their miracles still came. They still walked out healed. They still got to go show themselves to the priest and tell how some man they met in a village in Samaria and Galilee was the one who had spoken this word and healed them miraculously. These men were probably made whole as well. But here's the difference. Jesus says in verse 19, your faith has made you well. That, that, those three words in English, made you well, is one word in Greek. That one word is the Greek word sozo, which actually is not translated as well made well throughout the New Testament most often. It's actually translated as saved. Salvation is most often referred to as sozo. Salvation, sozo means to be made, uh, to be saved, to be delivered, to be protected. This man did not just get his body restored, this man met Jesus. This Samaritan man, this foreigner, this guy who had no right, no way in, this man got what the nine other Jews didn't get. This man got Jesus. This man began to know him and his person. This man got saved and delivered and protected before the cross ever came. This man had an experience with Jesus that the other nine missed out on. Thank God they got their miracle, but they missed his feet. And if we're not careful, we'll seek the miracle so hard that we miss his feet. And we'll miss the sozo, the salvation, the deliverance, and the protection. Oh God, yes, restore our pastor, but save us, deliver us, and protect us. I don't want to just fall at his feet out of obligation so that I can get something else from him. But when I fall out of, at his feet out of thanks and in worship and in honor for what he's already done, not just what he is yet to do, but what he's already done, that's when he says, all right, salvation has come. Salvation has come. Will we miss, will we trade salvation for the outside stuff? Will we trade knowing him? You got to know somebody to fall under their protection. Amen? You got to know somebody to fall under their protection. The promise is that when things come up that threaten their salvation or their deliverance or their protection, that Jesus is the one that has to answer to it. That's the implication of sozo. When we've been saved, remember Bishop Clower said this, when we've been saved, Jesus has purchased our sin. It's his. It's not even ours anymore. But he's also purchased our deliverance and our protection. It's up to him to deliver us. It's up to him to protect us. But I can't be protected and delivered and saved from a distance. I can get healed from a distance. But I can't stand in salvation and protection and deliverance at a distance. I can be blessed. I can have people give me money. I can have all kinds of things happen in my life and, and just by being associated with God. But when I know him, when I've made a place at his feet, even when he's not answered me just yet, not fully, but I make a place at his feet, then he says, okay, you can know me. 
You can be under my protection. I will deliver you when you need deliverance. I will save you when you need saving. Church, what do we do with this? What do we do with this word? It's stirring, isn't it? It's exciting. But the point is that there is room at the feet of Jesus for us all. For all of our need. Yeah, but you don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. And there's a great many things that I don't understand because I've not experienced those things. But Jesus is standing there. Jesus is here. Every time we come together, he is here. And he has a word for us. He's given us a word as a house, a path that we're walking. And yeah, you know what? Sometimes the the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, sometimes those go through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes those go through the enemy's camp, through the front lines. That's sometimes where the paths of righteousness lead. But if I will acknowledge what he has already done, even before I have my full answer, if I will choose to throw myself at his feet every chance that I get, even before I hold it in my hands, what will he give me? What will be added to me that I wasn't even asking for? What will creatively come back to me that the enemy took or that people took or that I threw away? There's room enough at Jesus' feet for us all. So Church of the Living God, what are we going to do? I hope so. And that is the point. That we decide, that we purpose within ourselves. We are going to fall at his feet every chance. But the answer hasn't come. But they're still dying. But this thing is still coming. But I'm still hurting. Fall at his feet and see what he will do. I'm not going to make you a promise that everything's going to turn around or change in an instant. I'm not going to tell you that. But what I will tell you is that when you fall at Jesus' feet, you will find Jesus there. Jesus himself, the nail-scarred feet, the very feet that hung on that cross for you are waiting. And as you worship him at his feet, you're going to find him. You're going to know him in his person. We might have to be like Job that says, I I knew of you, but now I know you. I don't want to walk that journey. But if I get to know him, if I get to know him, Maybe, maybe that journey's not the worst place I can be. Maybe that road and that path's not the worst place if he is at the end of it. Amen? You receive that word this morning? Will you stand up this afternoon? Stand with me, please. <laughs> Room enough at Jesus' feet. If, if we go to Jesus' feet in thanksgiving, we can expect him to add to us. I don't have to go to his feet in worship and in honor, putting my face on the ground, taking my, think, think about the posture, all right? Think about the posture of throwing yourself down at the feet of Jesus, right? It said his face was at his feet. His face was at his feet. What is that doing? That's taking the highest place of you, the seat of your intellect, the seat of your reasoning, 
the seat of your communication. Everything that you think and feel and want, everything that you say, and you're taking that thing and you're saying, you're laying it at his feet and you're saying that the lowest part of him is higher than the highest part of me. The lowest part of Jesus is more than the most that I can give. And then everything else that is attached to that, everything else that carries that around through this life, my body, everything else is also subjugated underneath that. Falling at the feet of Jesus. Falling at his feet on purpose because you want to, not because we told you to. Coming in and saying, you're higher, you're greater. I'm not seeing all my answer yet, but you're still higher and you're still greater. Your word is stronger and if I can walk under your word, I know I'm gonna be okay. I don't feel I'm gonna be okay. I have to choose to know that I'm gonna be okay. Even if they don't come back, even if that creative miracle doesn't happen, even if what I had is lost forever, I will not trade that for your feet. Because that's what the other nine did. They traded their miracle and it was awesome. But they said, that is all I need from him. But the one man said, I just want to know the guy who did this for me. I just want to know the man who can speak a word and cause things to come back on me. And even if I've got to be lower than his feet, I just want to know him. And this is where we are. Do you want to know him today? Oh, I want to know him. The Apostle Paul makes the promise that when we know him, we will know him in suffering, but we'll also know him in resurrection and in newness of life. So we have a promise that whatever part of us dies in coming to his feet, we have a promise that new life will come in its place. Church, we don't lose anything by going to his feet. We don't lose anything by falling at his feet. There's not a part of me, not a thing, not a moment of time that is lost forever by falling at his feet. Whatever dies comes back to life. Whatever is lost is brought back, or, or even better, whatever is lost, something better comes back. Amen? It's where the dead things come back to living. Amen? Amen. If you are in agreement with this word today, can we lift our hands and can we just say to the Lord, God, don't let me miss your feet. Oh God, don't let this be a church that misses your feet. Lord, we love the salvations. We love the Pentecostal stuff. We love the gifts. God, we love all of it. But Jesus, don't let us miss your feet. Oh God, I don't want to miss the chance to know you. To know you. To know the one who spoke the word that set me on a path to restoration. Oh God, let me know you. Oh God, let me know you in spite of it. In spite of the disease, in spite of the prognosis, in spite of the pain. Jesus, let me know you. So I've got to know you in your suffering. Let me know you. In Jesus' name, God, fill this house with people who prioritize your feet over their answers prioritize falling down in submission at your feet over the answer to their needs. And God, please work that in us. 
so that we can experience the salvation, the deliverance, the protection, the sozo, that we may be made well, that we may be made well. We thank you for it, Lord. Father, we have to say this. When you step in the room, church, we've got to recommit to this. Father, when you step in the, into the room, our thoughts, our intellect, our desires hits the floor. You with me? Church, when his presence comes in this place, our thoughts and our opinions and our desires need to hit the floor at his feet. If you gotta do that literally, you do it. But if you just have to say out loud to yourself, say, Father, I submit everything that I am to you right now. Everything that I am is lower than your feet. God will not, he will not avoid responding to us in that kind of posture. He will show up in power when we have that kind of posture. Does that make sense? You with me? Let's not stand back and cross our arms. Let's not get picky about song selection. When he comes in this place, lower yourself and see what he will bring with him. Lower yourself and see what he will do. Because he never, ever shows up empty-handed. Never, ever. Amen? Amen, you received the word? Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Pastor Mike. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.